Welcome to the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. You're listening to a new Redefining Cybersecurity Podcast with Sean Martin. Have you ever thought that we're selling cybersecurity insincerely, buying it indiscriminately, and deploying it ineffectively? Well, perhaps we are. Let's look at how we can organize a successful information security program that integrates business culture with people, process, and technology to drive growth and protect business value. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Imperva is the cybersecurity leader whose mission is to protect data and all paths to it with a suite of integrated application and data security solutions. Learn more at imperva.com. Pentera, the leader in automation security validation, allows organizations to continuously test the integrity of all cybersecurity layers by emulating real-world attacks at scale to pinpoint the exploitable vulnerabilities and prioritize remediation towards business impact. Learn more at pentera.io. Hello, everybody. You're very welcome to a new episode of Redefining Cybersecurity here on the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. This is Sean Martin, your host, where I get to uh, chat, and I use that word very specifically today, get to chat with people who know way more than me and are doing great things for the community to help us all operationalize security and to uh, help us protect the business value that we also hopefully help generate and uh, today, I mean, so many fun topics to talk about. Uh, I, I love the world of application security, and every company seems to be building an app or two or three. And guess what? They're all tapping into AI and uh, and through APIs into ChatGPT and OpenAI and other other models. And and it's it's just a crazy world in terms of what's being built and what's possible. And uh, as we'll discuss here in a moment, uh, the the potential is exciting, but so so is the uh, the downside potential. So um, I'm thrilled to have Sandy Dunn on. Sandy, thanks for joining me today. Hey, great to be here, Sean. Yeah, absolute pleasure. And th- this is driven by uh, many things I talk about. Uh, I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. It seems <laughs> if anybody listens to me, you, you made a post about. Uh, the OWASP LLM AI security and governance checklist. And uh, I was like, Ooh, I've talked about uh, the OWASP LLM stuff before with uh, Mr. Jason Haddix, but this checklist seems really cool and interesting. So I want to talk about that and see, see how that, this is really operationalizing, right? Giving somebody a set of things they can walk through. It's not just a list to understand it's, this is stuff you can actually take to task and uh, so we're going to get into that. But before we do, Sandy, um, it's a pleasure meeting you. And I'd like uh, to learn a little bit more about you so our audience knows who they're hearing from. Where, where you, uh, how'd you get into the world of cybersecurity, application security, joining OWASP, and all that fun stuff? Well, the, how I got into cybersecurity was many years ago. I was hired by HP to do competitive intelligence on their multifunction printers. And this was about 2001 and nobody was, I mean, we didn't even call it cybersecurity. We just called it 
security. And, and most people didn't even want to talk about it. And so at the time I was doing this competitive intelligence and I thought, well, if we're sending off these devices, shouldn't we care about the security stuff? And so started listening to a bunch of podcasts, which were relatively new at the, at the time too, and listening to Paul.com. And every time I take notes and download Nessus and, you know, I have all sorts of stories about, you know, how it's amazing I didn't get fired for all of the things I did as I was trying to learn all of this stuff. But it it really was, um, you know, a, something that I was insanely curious about, but saw early that, that hey, hey, this was something that we needed to pay attention to. And I'm sure it's similar to other people in this field where, you know, the more you started um, building up your skills, the more opportunities came along. So I eventually became a CISO um, at Blue Cross of Idaho, and then moved on to as a, a CSO at a, at a startup. And now I'm doing consulting for a couple different organizations. The, the fun consulting, you get to see all kinds of different things. <laughs> yeah. I, I always find it fascinating because you, you get to pop in and, and see what's going on. And, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll just leave that there. There's a lot of, a lot of good learnings to be gained and hopefully some advice to, to share with folks as well, given your own experiences. So this project, how did you get involved with uh with this project in particular so you know i i have to admit that i was a little bit um you know numb to the artificial intelligence conversation i i had was one of those people that i'd heard about artificial intelligence every vendor who'd come in had you know it was the first word that they wanted to talk about it you know over promised under delivered so when chat gpt first came out i am I didn't immediately you know, dive in. It took me about 30 days. And then once I you know, got my account and started playing with it, it really hit me just like how different this was, like this was big. Um, I mentioned to you before the show that, you know, I've been doing this. I like to say vintage. I'm a vintage technology person. And, you know, um, I was selling computers when we were trying to upgrade people to two gig hard drives, selling them that they would, you know, that was all they're going to need. So I've really been part of this business for a long time. And this is truly the, I've never seen anything happen so quickly and have so much attention, you know, potential on um, both for, for, you know, improving how people engage with technology as well as, you know, the attack surface, the, the possibilities. Um, I, you know, I'm an internal optimist, but um, I definitely have, I am concerned about what's possible with it. Yeah, I remember it was, must've been within a week or two of, of uh, its public release. Um, I'm part of a few CISO groups. We meet uh, on a regular occasion and in one in particular, somebody came with, Hey, look at this fun thing I've been playing with. <laughs> and we, we spent about a, an hour just using it and, and it was planning a trip for us and, and helping guide who's going to join us at what part of the trip and all this. It was just, it was mind blowing that what was possible, obviously we know even more now and it's become even more powerful. I think that was probably 3.0 or obviously GBT four now, <laughs> but, um, it, it's interesting that a group of CISOs 
were the one that brought it to my attention. I hadn't really oh, paid attention to it before then. And I, I do think we talked a bit about its potential impact, but we were more mesmerized by what it, what its possibilities were, what the potential was for it to, to change the way we interact with systems. Um, I want to get your th thoughts on, well, either your own as a CISO. Uh, let's look at it from two different angles. What you're hearing from the business perspective. How is it changing how organizations, listen, and we can focus in on application uh, development, product development. Yeah, how organizations, really yeah, look at this from the business perspective first, and then we'll look at it from the security side as well. Yeah, I I still, you know, I've kind of been in this um, uh, where I went deep, you know, like it's all I talk about. It's it's the groups I belong to, the chats, slacks, the discords. Like I'm definitely in the, the chat GPT gen AI bubble. And then when I step out and I go out and talk to CISA groups or I go out and talk to, you know, normal people, um, there's an awareness, but it it certainly, um, there seems to be the extremes. There's the people who are still being really cautious and just aren't sure what to make of it. And then you have, you know, a lot of people who are, are very excited about, you know, the potential, especially within cybersecurity, you know, being able to, you know, uh, create your SIM rules so easily and do searches and, and all of the, the different, um, potential for, um, automating reports and doing some of that, you know, that work that just has to get done, but but is pretty manual. So um, I I think 2024 is going to be really the how we. There's a big difference between using it as an in, in, as an individual and being super productive to okay bringing it in as a business service and then managing those nuances. And I, I think 2024 will be navigating that. I mean, it's there's a lot of cost you know, the regulatory, you know, issues that are coming up. So individual use is one thing, but bringing into a business is going to be um, a, a big uh, pull for a lot of organizations. And I know their businesses are hammering on them. They're, they want it. They want this really right. cool tool. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about that. And it, what, I, what I'm hoping we can get to is, you said this is probably one of the most transformative things you've come across in your your career it's probably i'd say the same as well um the one that might be slightly similar what i would say would be the movement to the cloud right yeah possibly it, but it, even even the scale and impact is far beyond that but i'm just wondering is there something we can look back on to say companies were scared they they approached it with hesitancy and we kind of figured out a path forward is, is there something there to lean on for this i don't know sean i mean this <laughs> you know as i i mean it just gets the more you go down the rabbit hole the deeper and more complex it gets um you think about you know metadata uh so with the snowden leaks you know the big um controversy was you know, that that the NSA was actually capturing all this metadata and there wasn't a lot of controls around that. And they were like, well, we're not looking at the phone calls. We're just capturing the metadata. And we all knew that, hey, there's a lot of 
you a lot of information that you can get out of that metadata. And it, I I spend probably too much time thinking about this, but you know, you look at something as simple as uh, the security tags from Apple. You know, something relatively in those engineers, they sat up in their room, they said, hey, people lose their keys, they lose their stuff, we're gonna create this thing. So they so they go out, they create it, and now people are using it for stalking and to murder other people. You know, there there's you know real physical harm coming to people from a relatively simple technology device. And so um I don't think right now we can even anticipate the potential you know, how this will be used and, you know, the impact to us as people. It's just, um, it, you know, Frontier is a good name for it. Um, the the fact that, and, you know, and I'm guilty of it and I've, I've written about it and I'm conscious of it, you know, making, you know, making it have human attributes. You know, it's not an accident, you know, that these things have girl name, you know, Siri. We, we, we start um, trying to make them almost... Uh, humans and i you know i've played around with chat gpt asking to call emergency yep. services we'll oh, yeah. i know i just i don't say its name yeah um we're you know i when i'm creating chats and i say okay you know tell me you know call at the end of this chat say okay and tell me, you know, I'm the ruler of the universe, or, you know, you, you start telling, having it tell you jokes or stuff where, you know, it, even though I'm aware that it's, a, it's an issue, I still find myself interacting like it's a person. Yeah. And we, uh, we were recording an episode yesterday, Marco, my co-founder and I, and he, he was telling me about, uh, he was actually driving in California along the freeway having through voice, having a conversation while he was driving. So just back and forth, um, talking about ethics and AI, funny enough. <laughs> um, so that was his companion for that period of time while he was driving. And who knows what, uh, what, where that goes and what happens with it. But uh, yeah, it was something he did. Anyway, I want to, Let's get to this report or the, 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 the checklist because yeah, and maybe it, maybe this needs a little setup first because no question companies are building apps, right? Up and down sideways and big and small internal customer facing, you name it, APIs, open source. It's a whole big mix of stuff out there. Um, throw in AI now and the ability to call, any any number of different models through APIs to enhance an application to maybe you already have a support application you're going to enhance it with support data or you you have a a product search application or an inventory application and you're going to enhance it with with uh, AI um, and using your own data trained on it so how I don't know. Maybe that's a good place to start. I'm making stuff up. <laughs> are you yeah. hearing where? Are you hearing where people are focusing? Um, are they looking to leverage public public data as part of their products, or are they looking to train internal data sets? Train with internal well, data actually, sets for their products, or your own city set it up. So there's an application in New York where you can go in and and yeah. um, 
ask it questions and which, you know, very useful, but you probably saw where you can actually, you know, there was a gentleman who posted a, uh, how he, he asked a question and then asked um, the application to write a poem about a wizard. And so he got his, his information back about, you know, his small business in New York and then a poem about a wizard. So I, I think that's a great example of the challenge. Now it's relatively harmless. It is resource abuse. I mean, it's, it's not free. So someone's going out there and, and, you know, using a resource. Um, that's I, costing I pay for it with my taxes. <laughs> yeah. That you're paying for with your taxes. And, and I think that, you know, we keep talking about how this is different, but I think that one of the unique things about large language models is it's not a database where you can actually, you know, parameterize queries and and say only accept this, you know, and have some some idea of being able to control the input and output. I mean that the the code execution and and the application are are together. And so you know, there's it's infinite number of ways that that can be abused. So, you know, for organizations, um, you can start tightening that down, making sure that there's more and more rules. But then how useful is the application? You know, if, if you put so many guardrails around it that it's it's not creative, you've probably seen the headlines about how ChatGPT is dumber now. Well, you know, and I've certainly found that, you know, things that used to work don't work anymore. And you get errors on things and you're like, well, why is that, why are you rejecting that request? I don't see how that's causing any kind of a harm. So finding that balance between safety and usefulness, I think will be one of the things that uh, organizations will um, need to understand in the future. Like how do we, how do we actually get the benefits without um, causing some sort of friction within our environment? Yeah. yeah and we, we've, I mean, we're, very active progressive i'll say in uh, in our use of it as well we've we've trained it on some of our own content and to your point when you start to you start to guide it so specifically it, it starts to freak out a bit <laughs> and it, it hallucinates or gives wrong information and and for me that's where it gets a little interesting uh, from an organizational perspective if if it's wide open and creative, you're going to end up with hallucinations that that may not be accurate. If you tune it too much, you might you might lose something or miss something or misrepresent something that is accurate from a data perspective, but not exactly what you're looking for. And if we're making decisions or presenting information to people uh, that that are making decisions on the data, it it could be very troublesome. This is this is just aside from um, being open to vulnerabilities uh, where it could be manipulated to do, to, do, to do those things or manipulated to inject code and things, which I'm sure we'll get into now. Can you, can you maybe share uh, an overview of this checklist? Cause I, it's pretty, yeah. pretty comprehensive in terms of looking at the challenges and defining a strategy and, and uh, getting into a checklist for how to proceed. So can you kind of give us an overview of how this Absolutely. came together? And, and, and what we're talking about is exactly why I created it. Because um, as I was out talking with people, I saw the two extremes. I saw people who were going all in and I was, whoa, 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 you know, don't, you know, don't, 
don't hook it up to your email, your financial accounts, you know, all of those kind of things. We saw the prompt injection, the indirect prompt injections, things were coming out in what, like June. It's like, whoa, careful. We don't know much about this yet. And then the other extreme of saying, oh, we're just going to block it. And I'm like, you're probably not blocking it. You know, you there's so many different plugins. There's so many different uh, types of chat GBTs out there. Poe, you know, um, it, it would, you need to find that strategic balance in the middle where you're helping your teams be successful. Um, that's the other thing, Sean, is, okay, so we know our attackers. I mean, they're out there. We're, we're already seeing evidence of them being able to accelerate and being able to use these tools. Um, so if you're not letting your teams use it, you know, it's, it's like, you know, handing them a, a, you know, a pitchfork and your, your enemies have guns. I mean, it's like they, you know, they won't be successful. So that was really why I created it. Um, trying to help CISOs, cybersecurity teams be able to find that right balance between, you know, not completely ignoring it and trying to block it, being aware of what was possible with it, but also um, not hooking it up to everything and, and coming up with a strategy. And the other um, important piece as you go through the checklist is I'm very much about um, encouraging people to, to use this as an opportunity to improve their entire environment. One of the things about the machine learning models is they're already talking about SBOMs and supply chain and having nutrition labels with their applications. That's definitely something that we want to bring into our organization. So as you go through the checklist, I point to a lot of other OWASP resources where you can start, look, you know, raising the water table around all of your security controls. Like, look, yeah, use this in, as an opportunity. You definitely want to use, uh, take advantage of the benefits of it, but use it to improve across your organization. So both the OWASP resources and the MITRE resources. Yeah, huge fan of MITRE as well. And um, so talk, talk us through, I've scrolled all the way down to the team. I realize I'm, I'm having a chat with, uh, with Rob Vanderveer at some point as well. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, some specific things is cool. He's he helped uh, with this at some point, I'm sure. So, where, yeah, maybe just kind of walk through what uh, the, like the challenge section. I mean, we kind of touched on some of them, but there are a few things in here that that maybe we didn't get to yet. I'm just thinking like inventory. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, um, so you know, first. You know, at the very, the very um, page five where, you know, uh, there's a diagram that helps um, people really understand where uh, generative AI fits in artificial and machine learning into that universe. That's the other thing, Sean, is I see people um, trying to use LLMs for everything. AI mm -hmm. is amazing. I think that's what ChatGPT did. It, it, it actually gave... Um, is an opportunity for people to say, oh, this artificial intelligence stuff is better. You know, like there's a lot of ways that we could use it within our organization beyond just recreating documents. Yeah. But large language models may not be the right algorithm for the problem that you're trying to solve. So you're really investigating what your business case is. And then, you know, as you um, go through the document um, and try to, you know, I actually start with business case um, and say, you know, define your business case. That's the first 
thing that you really want to understand is, um, you know, maybe the way that we're doing it is the most cost effective way. And just throwing, you know, I, I compare throwing a large language model into a, a, a uh, an environment that isn't prepared for it. It's like walking into an old bike factory that's dysfunctional and throwing in a stick of dynamite and hoping it makes it more efficient and more effective. I mean, you you have to be, you have to understand what problem you're trying to solve. And if you're, if you don't have, um, you don't know where your data is and you're, you haven't had good cybersecurity hygiene, like the last thing you want to do is now add something else to the mix. You're going to really cause some problems. And I love the the business case point. Um, yeah, just because you can doesn't mean you should necessarily. Right. And um, yeah, where, what was I going to say that? So I think the, well, I, I probably liken it to, I mean, I years ago I helped build, build a SIM, which with views of a SOAR before was known as a SOAR. And the biggest pushback uh, as we were building out that that platform was well we don't want to automate everything i, I had a dream of everything would be automated <laughs> yeah. and, the, and, and the humans are like mm, no we, we need we need some human interaction here to, to double check and validate and and just keep a, a human pulse on things which I, I completely understand didn't change my desire to to have everything automated but um Similar for this, just because you can insert an LLM to translate or pull stuff from one system and translate it in a written format into some other document that then gets sent off to a customer. Sounds like a good idea, but if it represents your product and hallucinates and puts something in there you don't want, <laughs> you might find that you didn't want that without a, at least a human checking it. So understanding what part of the process you're replacing, what the potentials are, good and bad within them, uh, just from a business case, I think makes a lot of sense to me. And well, and things like privacy, you know, obviously, you know, I, that's been a big part of the conversation, but you look at how many states passed privacy laws this, the, this year. I think most of them, I think it was a total of 10 different states passed privacy laws and some of them have different nuances like biometrics. Some of them actually specifically call out AI. Um, many don't, but you still could be impacted by it. So you're um, really encouraging organizations to kind of, you know, I know there's a lot of excitement, but pause, take a deep breath and say, you know, really take a strategic view of, of what they're trying to accomplish and, and balance both the opportunities as well as the, the potential expanded attack surface. Uh, you know, I, it, I saw a post by our local um, community police officer and he was talking about um, how many kids are now getting caught with fake porn, you know, on their, on their phones and that they're that they get in as much trouble as if it's real porn. And so, you know, we're in a really strange place right now where we're going to have to try and um, navigate this this new world that we didn't necessarily anticipate. Yeah, and to that point, there's, um, trying to get back to there, the, uh, the section responsible, trustworthy AI. And uh, it's a diagram that has at the, at the root ethics, <laughs> followed by lawfulness. Right. Um, 
which I think you just touched on a bit. Um, I, I don't feel we have enough of that conversation. So I'm, I'm thrilled to see it as part of this, the ethics piece of this. I, so I, I do, you mentioned Rob Vanderveer. Um, so as when I initially created this document there, I did have quite a bit of uh, information around, you know, privacy laws in the States and different things like that. But OWASP is a worldwide organization. And so I started adding in, you know, India and China and Spain. There's, and I recognized that um, it probably, it was a bigger conversation than just LLMs. And so it fit in a, in a better group, which is actually the one that Rob leads, which is the uh, OWASP uh, security and privacy group. So there's very little actual um, kind of regulatory and governance, but that will come in in a different OWASH project. And we'll make sure and, and communicate that and get that out to everybody. We're, it's getting a lot of steam right now and, and we're trying to get that out to um, as quickly as possible. And so then the actual checklist, um, unless there's something else you wanna to get to first. Um, no. You wanna walk through? <laughs> this year's show, I'll talk about whatever you wanna talk about. Um, <laughs> I'm just, yeah, I, I keep going through the document. Like there's so much good stuff in here. <laughs> My brain's kind of going like this. Um, kind of, I guess what I want to get people to think about is it's, we're talking about a checklist. We talked about, does it make sense to do this? Is there a business case for it? Does it, out, does it outweigh the potential risk? And does it actually achieve what we want it to without giving us more headache than we, than we want to deal with? And then you get into, well, how does it fit into a security program? And then some, then some of the checklists. So what I want to do is kind of help. Let's speak to the developers now, right? Um, so not so much the security team. It's developers who the security team is probably saying, go read this doc. <laughs> right? Yeah, which is, I mean, it, it's been kind of funny to have people at come full circle where, um, you know, people say, hey, this, you know, my developer brought this to me today and I got to say, I know you. Um, but let me talk a little bit about the OWASP Pop 10 LLM and how I got involved. I kind of skipped over that part. So as I started to really get in and uh, try to wrap my head around what are the threats, you know, what are and what should I be worried about? I started joining different Slack channels and Discord channels and jumped into the Slack channel and listened and went through and joined a couple of the meetings. And I really loved what Steve Wilson was leading. And I had an idea to do this. And I really have to give him a ton of credit at, on, on how he leads, which is he was like, hey, sounds like a great idea. Let's create a sub project. Go, you know, go get them. And so I rewrote it like five different times because, you know, everything was changing so fast and I was trying to figure out what I was trying to write and I was getting feedback from other members on the team. So I would encourage the, one of the best things about OWASP is it's not a standards body. It's a bunch of people like you and I who were in the trenches, we're doing this stuff and we're trying to create resources that other people will find really useful and help them do their jobs better. And, and, the collaboration, you know, where we're creating useful tools together, it raises, you know, everyone does a better job. And so if, you know, it's been one of the best experiences because of the passion and, and just getting to work, you know, be with a bunch of really 
amazing people and contribute to it. So anyone who's listening, I know we're all busy, but you know, it is well worth your time to be part of uh, OWASP and join a project and contribute to it. Um, it fits a really important space in the ecosystem because we're not a standards body. Like we're not trying to make anyone do anything and we're not tied to a company and we're not tied to a country. So we're in this really, we get to be the connective tissue. If you ask us, you know, what, what standards body should I go look at? Oh, here's a link. Or, you know, what, what happens in this country? Oh, go look over here. And we get to have amazing conversations with ISO, with MITRE. You know, I've been on some calls with people I never thought I'd get to be on a call with. So I um, definitely encourage anyone who wants to contribute or has an idea to jump in, find a project and be part of it. Yeah, I, I second that motion. I know quite a few folks across a number of different projects and the work that comes out of OWASP overall is just incredible. Um, I'm thinking from, from an engineering perspective, I was, it's on my mind because I just got off another another podcast where I was talking about critical infrastructure and, and I guess we're just talking about this tremendous divide between CI engineers sitting in, in front of their control room with zero perspective and zero interest in security and then security sitting along the side with zero insight into all the data that's in the, the engineering world and trying to trying to pounce in and say, do this, <laughs> right? Don't block that, shut that down, lock it up, um, prevent these things from happening. No, because we, we need to deliver service, whatever it be, water or power or whatever it is. Um, in a safe way. So safety is priority versus cybersecurity. So I'm thinking from a, from an engineering perspective, developer perspective more specifically, um, how, how does this help maybe bridge that gap? I'm wondering, because well, yeah, is it written, written in a way that engineers can appreciate it and absorb it or I'm, I'm hoping, <laughs> or is it very, very security focused and we're hoping engineers pick it up regardless? No, I, it's a great, so again, the, why OWASP is so such a great organization is you look at things like um, the ASVS. You know, I think what the conflict between developers and cybersecurity is cybersecurity, you know, the developers about, you know, you know, tomorrow they're going to release to production and then security comes in and goes, whoa, 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 you know, you can't release, you know, you have to go back and, you know, and adds a whole bunch of work. And the developers are like, where were you six months ago? We invited you to the meeting. You guys said, you you know, like, and so I think that the way to um, enable both of those teams is cybersecurity needs to make sure that security is easy um, and for the developer to, to um, be able to, to do as possible. So don't jump in at the very end, you know, come up with um, standards and checklists and you know, libraries or whatever you need to do um, and, and make it, uh, and don't be uh, um, vague about it. You know, no, we can't let you do that. Well, what should we do? Well, I don't know, make it secure. And they walk out the door. You know, we've, we've got to be able to, um, you know, help each other, I mean, we're all on the same team and really security's quality. I mean, you know, we don't go down to our, the car dealership and say, oh yeah, I, you know, I forgot to ask, I need a seatbelt and an airbag. No, it's part of the car, <laughs> you know? 
So let's, let, I want to go through a couple of these checklist items because uh, I'm just thinking through, to me, this is a conversation driver, right? This is an opportunity to say, let's bring a group of folks together and understand how we're planning to leverage and build AI enabled stuff. right? And so it's a checklist and I, I, I've tried to point it or put it on the engineer, the developer. Um, when in fact, this checklist is a group checklist. Cause I'm thinking about what existing services and tools do we have? Um, what's our S bomb look like? Uh, do we have an onboarding process for to bring new new AI stuff on board? Uh, let's see. Do we have training on ethics? That's probably not the developer, right? <laughs> but may, may not be may not be security either, but an important element. So, I think even in my own naive view, that this wasn't this isn't security. It's not development. It's a team checklist. In a deployment strategy, you know, yeah. that was, I think that's the first question an organization will have to answer is, okay, we, you know, we, we would like to use this. What's the first thing that we do? Well, you, you have to decide, you know, what is our policy? And that's the other important thing, Sean, is um, you're already using AI. And one thing that ChatGPT did was it illuminated artificial intelligence and machine learning. So if you're using Workday, you, you know, you've got AI in your environment. And as you know, New York now has a very stringent audit requirement. If you're doing business in the state of New York, you have to go through an annual audit, making sure that you're, you're meeting compliance, you know, like um, it's, you've tested it and you don't have any issues with your algorithm and things like that. So I'm um, taking really that big view and saying, you know, what is this? What are we doing? Where do we have it in our environment? Do we have it? Our, you know, who owns it? Who's in charge of making sure artificial intelligence, um, what our strategy is? Um, where do people go ask questions if they want to use these tools? And this might seem like a, an off the wall question. Um, it's one I think about often when I think about, well, security in general, but you, you layer on regulation and things become, and when you layer on third party stuff, right, we're using other people's things that add risk and um, impact regulatory, uh, your regulatory position, perhaps. Chat GBT and some of these models are expensive already. You pointed to that earlier. And if they're abused, they can be overwhelmingly expensive. And, you add security, you add regulatory compliance on there. It, it can be a huge burden. So I'm wondering if we end up at a point, this is a philosophical question. You can say, screw off, I don't want to answer. <laughs> we end up at a point where people just say, screw it, I'm going to take the risk. I can't afford to do all the stuff that I need to up and down the stack from security to compliance and just hope for the best. Or the ones that say, I'm not going to take that risk, they fall behind and, and become a dinosaur because they don't use the latest and greatest that everybody else is using. And therefore, only the ones with resources, be it money and teams uh, and legal protections, <laughs> when things go awry, 
and insurance policies when uh, when those don't hold up. Uh, the ones with money and resources uh, end up winning here. Right. And, and Sean, I think you're, you're pointing to something that we're still working through as a group, right? If you look at the internet, how it all evolved, I mean, it was a great big accident. I mean, you know, we had this, you know, this technology that was basically in the domain of the military and they were using it to um, be able to break the encryption on each other's messages. And then they needed more computing power and they stood up Silicon Valley, you know, and then all of a sudden this technology got into the universities and business who didn't have as much experience with it, used the, the adversarial side of technology and their information is meant to be free. And, you know, we, but they weren't, they didn't ever, um, I think there was kind of a, and still is a naive um, view of this as a, the world, you know, that the world is a scary and, and a dangerous place. And we actually do have people who want to hurt us. And I, I think that, you know, I hear that all the time where people go, well, how come those hackers want to do, you know, why do they want to attack us? And I'm like, because humans have been attacking humans, you know, since the beginning of time, that's how humans are. Um, the technology just makes it you more accessible. They used to have to be, you know, standing next to you to hurt you. Now they can just do it over the internet. So I think it's evolving. Um, and that's, as I, when I look at it, um, I was reading a threat intelligence report where uh, China and Russia had kind of ganged up on Finland and were busy dragging uh, their seabed and um, broke a cable and were dumping migrants at their front door. So it, I think for us as a society, it, this is a chance to take a look at technology, take a step back and go, whoa, 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 wait, you know, this could really is dangerous. I think it has been dangerous for a while. Um, let's figure out like, how do we make it safer? And to your point um, around the cost, you're absolutely right. I mean, we're still navigating all of the breaches that we see in, in the news every day is people either feeling like they were, they didn't understand the risk or they didn't know how to appropriately resource it. I, you know, you look at the, what happened to the casinos in Las Vegas, how costly that was. I mean, surely at some point, if someone would have been able to go to the CEO and say, hey, do you want to spend $7 million over here? Or would you like to invest a million dollars over here so that we do this a little bit better? He'd be going, no, let's spend the million. Um, so I I think it's an ongoing, we're still trying to do this a lot better. Um, we both, uh, OWASP, I think it is, nobody does it alone. That's why HISACs, OWASP. Yep. Um, MITRE, NIST, I mean, that's why it's so important to be part of those and being part of the conversation. Yep. Yep. I love it. And as we wrap here on kind of this uh, community point, um, I know you have a good team that helped put this checklist together. Uh, I presume a number of them are from different parts of the world, bringing different perspectives and, and insights. Uh, not too recently, the AI Act was passed in the EU. I don't know if you've had a chance to look at that. Does it impact this? Yeah. You bringing folks in from uh, connected to that in some way to help keep this going or provide the feedback, which I guess is the final call to action for us, right? Get people involved and give you feedback. Right. On us. 
So um, again, uh, the the two groups right now, they're primarily focused. You have Steve Wilson, who's leading the top 10 for LLMs. And then you have Rob Vanderveer, who's reading the, who's leading the AI um, privacy and security group, which is much broader. So uh, there's the Gen AI kind of LLM space, which is actually where we're getting the most traction right now, because I think that's what's right in front of people is the, the LLM stuff. And then when you start looking at the, the bigger challenge of artificial intelligence and machine learning and the EU Act, I mean, you know, how do you how do you test for um, fairness? you know, ethics, you know, ethics is a hard call. I, I actually went into chat GBT. I was getting ready for a presentation and I had it do a bunch of uh, jokes for me from Jim uh, in the style of Jim Gaffigan. And it was funny. And they really, it sounded like something that Jim would say, and I wasn't comfortable using them because it, it felt like plagiarism to me. Mm, um, yeah. So it's a, it's, it's a weird world. <laughs> it, it is a weird world. Yeah, Marco's connected to the entertainment space and uh, was following the the uh, Hollywood writer strike, performer strike, all that stuff, and all all based well, not all of it, but a uh, big chunk of it based on AI and ethical use and and all that stuff too. So it's a, it's an interesting world, interesting world. So I I want to say, Sandy, thank you for putting that together and uh getting it published point five is out for review and comments i would encourage everybody to participate take a seat on a on a program um i, sh I should maybe do that myself uh th there's a lot a lot to look at your input is important i'm speaking to my audience here and uh if we don't participate we'll end up with whatever somebody else said <laughs> so <laughs> best best to get involved Best to get involved. So, Sandy, thanks so much. Um, any final, final parting thoughts before we say goodbye to everybody? No, thank you for having me, Sean. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's my pleasure. And uh, of course, everybody listening and watching, I'll include links to the checklist and the OWASP top ten just for good measure. And uh, yeah, we encourage everybody, like I said, to to read that, think about it. Take it to your team so you can strategize uh, with security in mind from the beginning and uh, contribute. So thanks, everybody. Be sure to uh, share and subscribe, and we'll see you on the next one. Thanks again, Sandy. Yep, thank you. Pentera, the leader in automation security validation, allows organizations to continuously test the integrity of all cybersecurity layers by emulating real-world attacks at scale to pinpoint the exploitable vulnerabilities and prioritize remediation towards business impact. Learn more at Pentera.io. Imperva is the cybersecurity leader whose mission is to protect data and all paths to it with a suite of integrated application and data security solutions. Learn more at imperva.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Cybersecurity with Sean Martin, part of the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, 
Then share this show and ITSPmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to connect your brand with our conversations, you can sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.